You're listening to the Brooks and O podcast, conversations to help you live in your true identity as the creator of your life. I'm your host, Brooks Snow. You have episode 138, the transactional gospel versus unconditional love. How do you believe blessings work? Do you earn them? Are blessings rewards from heaven for good behavior? Is salvation earned through your works or are we really saved by grace? In this episode, we're talking about the transactional gospel, which is the belief that we are rewarded or punished according to our actions. I'm sharing how this belief has played out in my life and why I'm now ready to let it go for a better way. If you enjoy this podcast, I know you would love my new app, Co-Create by Brooke Snow. It's available in the Apple and Google app stores. The Co-Create app gives you access to over 100 guided meditations, new yoga classes, and inspirational audio courses to support you in living into your true identity as the creator of your life. To learn more, visit brooksnow.com forward slash app. Friends, this episode in so many ways represents a core piece of my own faith journey. And while I don't expect everyone to agree with my conclusions, I do hope that you'll feel my intention, which is simply to share my story of how upgrading my beliefs about God and the gospel has changed my heart for the better. To begin, I want to share an experience that profoundly marked my life. In the summer of 2000, I spent the first of many summers working at a lodge in Grand Teton National Park. Because it's a national park full of wide open space, it is much darker at night without any city lights. It makes for some amazing night skies, but also some increased danger if you are driving. You have to be alert and aware of many kinds of wildlife that could cross the road at any moment. Deer, elk, moose, bears, coyotes, antelope, and especially buffalo. This was their habitat after all, and we were the guests. One late night, my cousin was driving us back to the lodge after a really fun night in town an hour away. It was pitch black outside. We were partway through the park wilderness, just talking and laughing as we traveled along when she suddenly slammed hard on her brakes. We went from 55 miles an hour to zero in just enough time to see through the headlights the fur of a massive 2,000-pound buffalo brushing across the hood of her car. Time stood still, and we were both left breathless. There was no physical impact. The buffalo continued his trek across the road, leaving us with panicked and pounding hearts. Had she braked a single second later, we would surely be dead. After a stunning silence of amazement, the first words out of her mouth were, it wasn't me that pushed the brake. I didn't see it until we were stopped. The rest of the drive back was full of shock as I processed the adrenaline and emotions 
that came from seeing my life flash before my eyes and knowing the only reason we were still alive was divine intervention. Why were we spared? Why had some unforeseen force pushed the brake? It obviously wasn't our time to die, but my mind immediately went to work trying to figure out why. As my cousin and I talked through this miracle that had just occurred, I made the comment that this blessing must be because I paid my tithing or because I had been active in church or I had been living righteously enough to deserve it. In my mind, that was how blessings worked. By doing certain good deeds, I was earning certain rewards or blessings. My cousin immediately and firmly rejected such a thought. She said, no, it doesn't work that way. This miracle has nothing to do with how righteous we are. My reasoning for this miracle is what is called the transactional gospel. Believing that God rewards and punishes us based on our behavior and compliance. I have believed the transactional gospel for most of my life. I wasn't consciously aware of it, of course, but on some level, I operated on this understanding. How many times in my life have I heard someone comment on a blessing in someone's life by saying, you must be living right? (laughs) In other words, you earned this blessing by your righteousness. This belief can bring confusion and a lot of judgment. When I do all the right things to live a righteous life and still don't have the blessings I want, maybe it's marriage or being able to have children or the perfect job or health or a happy home life or financial stability or any other righteous and desirable blessing I'm hoping to be deserving enough for. Ultimately, the culminating way this has reached its peak in my own faith is that I have inadvertently believed I can save myself by being righteous enough. Of course, in theory, I would say Jesus saves me by grace, but that's not what my subconscious actually believed. It's quite shocking to me to look at my life and see how many of my actions have been motivated by this idea of a reward system that I'm trying to keep score and stay on top of so I can earn my way to heaven. I just need to do the right things, answer the right questions, get the right ordinances, and endure to the end. (laughs) Complete the checklist so I can ensure my salvation. In the past few years, I have been thrust into an unexpected faith journey. One by one, I have begun to consciously examine my beliefs and ask myself if I want to still keep a specific belief or not. Choosing to let go of some beliefs has been deeply painful. Yet one of the good fruits of this inventory has been the opening of my own heart and mind into a beautiful expansion of faith. 
At this point, I'm using my agency to choose for myself what I want to believe and who I really believe God to be. My filter has been the question, does this help me love God with all my heart, might, mind, and strength? Does this help me love my neighbor as myself? If it does, then I keep the belief. And if it doesn't, then I work through the process of letting it go. Through this journey, the Buffalo Miracle conversation has played regularly in my mind. Though it's taken me more than 20 years to see it, I now believe my cousin was right. I do not believe we earned that miracle through any of our righteous actions. This transactional gospel belief is not what I want to put my faith in anymore. I finally realized I can't earn my way to heaven, (laughs) no matter how much good I do. And I'm tired of trying. This doesn't mean that I don't want to be good anymore. It means I'm tired of doing good for selfish reasons. I'm tired of feeling like I have to earn God's love. I'm also tired of believing heaven comes only after I die and that all those eternal rewards I'm supposed to be saving up for only come in the next life. I do believe in life after death, but it's becoming more and more important for me to believe in life before death. Can I experience heaven now? Jesus taught us the kingdom of heaven is within you. That doesn't sound future tense or far away. Can I experience Zion with all of humanity right now? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He later prays that we may be one as he and his father are one. That doesn't sound future tense either. I believe he is inviting us to live this way now and experience this now. The transactional gospel functions best when I am future thinking, just like a bank account. I'm continually investing and saving for the future so I can enjoy it later. It's not financially wise to spend everything now. I need to save up for the coming day. Yet Jesus taught us to take no thought for the morrow. I believe what he's inviting us to do is to live in the present. Don't let your actions be solely for a future transaction. Live now. Have joy now. The kingdom of heaven is within you now. Unfortunately, when I treat God and the gospel like a transactional bank account, I'm living for the future. And too often, the future I'm living for is after I'm dead. The parable of the talents gives great insight into the spirit of this transactional gospel. The master gathers his servants and gives one five talents, another two, and another one. Talents are a form of currency. The servant who received the single talent went and buried it in the ground. 
He put it away for a future day. Perhaps he was storing it up to make sure he would have his reward later and not lose it. In contrast, the servants who received the five and two talents went and spent them. (laughs) Yes, they stimulated the economy. They didn't put them away for a future day. They spent them through trade and earned more. In effect, they lived in the present and experienced the joy their master had given them in the here and now. When the master returned, they had not only grown their money, but grown their souls. How often have I practiced religion like the single talent servant and buried it away for a future day? Why am I doing such and such a thing? Because the transactional gospel means I'll get a blessing for doing it. I do it because I am supposed to, or I should do it. I may not see the blessing right now, but I believe it is accumulating in some heavenly bank account. (laughs) Ultimately, I put it away for my salvation in the next life. In contrast, I also fear if I don't do it, that this heavenly account will depreciate. I fear the depreciation and want the appreciation, so I act accordingly. Unfortunately, too many times my doing has been motivated by earning something or avoiding something. Now, I'm not a one-dimensional person. My life is also full of moments with better intentions, But as I have been questioning my beliefs on this faith journey, I see the heavy influence of this transactional gospel mindset, and I no longer want this ruling over me. Now, to be fair, our lives are full of transactions. If I eat healthy and move my body, I want to earn the reward of physical health. If I practice the piano every day for years, I want to earn the skill of being a great pianist. We absolutely live in a cause and effect world. But when I treat relationships as transactional, love becomes conditional. I'm acting in my ego and I miss the depth and breadth of love I could experience otherwise. It becomes all about me. What reward do I get in return? Or what punishment do I avoid in return? I also miss the breadth of having a fullness of agency. How much choice do I really have if I am choosing from a place of fear of punishment? Not that much. A few months ago on the podcast, I talked about the law of Moses which by the way, easily becomes a transactional gospel. It's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That particular phrase is focusing on punishments, but the same applies for rewards. It's a gospel where God's justice is based on what is deserved. Good is rewarded and bad is punished. This means I do good to deserve good, Or maybe I do good to avoid punishment. Both of these can be quite motivating. 
What I'm personally trying to come to terms with right now is the condition of my own heart. And the condition of my heart has everything to do with who I believe God is. Is God transactional? Is God in the business of rewards and punishments? Or is God in the business of unconditional love and allowing us to learn by experience? Scripture will support either version of God. There are plenty of scriptures available to cause me to believe that God is transactional. Even the concept of heaven and hell is tied to punishment and reward. This is why it was so life-changing for me to read Adam Miller's book, Original Grace, in which he redefines justice. And I did a few episodes on this, and I'll link it into the show notes. But in summary... He shows how the belief in original sin creates a God who defines justice by asking the question, what is deserved? However, shifting to a belief in original grace reveals a God who defines justice by asking the question, what is needed? Jesus clarified God's justice in his own ministry when he taught us the most important command of all is love. To love God with all our heart, might, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And this next part is important. He said, all other laws hang upon this command to love. In other words, all other laws are subservient to the law of love. This changes everything. With love as the governing law of the universe, what matters most to God is the condition of my heart. It's no longer about a checklist of do's and don'ts. It's about whether or not I am currently in a state of love. If I'm not, then God's justice requires them to ask What is needed? Specifically, what is needed for me to be restored to love again and feel love and be love once again? Justice becomes all about restoring love. This is a very different view of God than the God who gives out punishment or reward based on our actions. It's a very different view of God than the God who withdraws love, connection, and acceptance based on our actions. It's a very different view of God than the God who teaches that personal worthiness is something that could ever be in question. But here is my biggest reason for letting this transactional belief go. If I believe God is transactional then I will be transactional. If, however, I believe that God is unconditional love, then I will have more unconditional love for myself and others. Can I say that one more time? If I believe God is transactional, then I will be transactional. If, however, I believe that God is unconditional love, then I will have more unconditional love for myself and others. Now, the word unconditional 
becomes uncomfortable in the transactional gospel mindset because the transactional gospel is all about conditions. It is built on what you earn or deserve, and it fosters constant judgment. Because of all the conditions in place, I will be in constant judgment of myself. Am I good enough for a reward or not good enough? I'll be in constant judgment of others. Are their actions deserving of salvation, of love, of acceptance, or are they not? The transactional conditions put the focus not on the heart, but on whatever evidence I can find for judging what I think is deserved. Many people would say the reason that we follow any of the individual commandments is so we can become like God. But when I do it from a transactional motivation, I'm not that different from Lucifer, who in the book of Abraham volunteered to come to earth as a savior if he could be rewarded in the end with all God's glory. He was going to earn and deserve that reward. Am I not doing the same thing when I check all the boxes and do my duties just so I can make it to the celestial kingdom of heaven and receive my degree of glory too? In that same account, Jesus Christ has a different motivation to volunteer a savior. He wasn't concerned about earning or deserving. He was motivated by love the love of God and the love of humanity. Lucifer wanted what he believed he deserved. Jesus asked what was needed. In a recent podcast interview with Robert Edward Grant, he said, what if the reason we came here is not to get better at judgment, but to learn how to transcend it? We're here to learn love and how to be loved. It's just those two things. I don't think it's more complex than that. This is beautiful in and of itself. The transactional gospel paradigm creates countless conditions to our salvation and worth, which fosters constant judgment of self and others. Again, what if the reason we came here is not to get better at judgment, but to learn how to transcend it? Can I choose to love myself even when I'm not my best self? Can I choose to love someone else even when they are not their best self? Essentially, can I choose to love even when someone does not deserve it? What happens to me when I do this? In my own experience, I'm learning that what happens is my heart and my mind expand. And I get a taste of what true grace is. I learn what true Christ-like love really is. This love is beyond the level of transaction. It does indeed invite me to transcend judgment and conditional love into something far better and far more holy. Contrary to how all this may sound, my intent is not to say that the transactional gospel is bad or wrong. 
Instead, I believe it to be developmental. Even if my obedience begins from a place of fear or reward, eventually I need to move beyond earning and deserving. My heart needs to change from transaction to unconditional love. I also need to progress from seeing God as transactional to seeing God as unconditionally, lovingly abundant. Elder Dieter Uchtdorf beautifully sheds light on this abundant, unconditional love view of God when he says, Part of our challenge is we imagine God has all of his blessings locked in a huge cloud up in heaven, refusing to give them to us unless we comply with some strict paternalistic requirements he has set up. In reality, God is constantly raining blessings upon us. It is our fear, doubt, and sin that, like an umbrella, block these blessings from reaching us. Close quote. In other words, God is not a transactional God. God is no respecter of persons and is raining blessings on us all, the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun shines on us all. The rain falls on us all. We can block ourselves from receiving those blessings, but they are always there nonetheless. It's up to us to close the umbrella. My current solution to help me move out of this transactional view of God and into an unconditional love and grace view of God has everything to do with who I personally believe God to be. Getting to this point has required me to let go of any beliefs or practices that don't support this view and choose for myself what I want to believe. So, who do I personally believe the real God is? As it implies, if I believe there is a real God, (laughs) I also believe there is a false God. I have known both. It's hard for me to love a God who is punishing. It's hard for me to love a God who is constantly evaluating what I deserve. It's hard to love a God who doesn't want to be with me now or in the next life because I'm not worthy enough, good enough, or obedient enough. It's hard for me to love a God who doesn't want me to ask questions or think outside the box or use my agency in whatever way feels correct for me. It's hard for me to love a God who favors some individuals or types of people over others. It's hard for me to love a God who is secret or hidden It's hard for me to love a God who is exclusive in who owns truth or who gets saved or who gets revelation. Honestly, I am afraid of that God and don't want to connect with this God. I will never feel fully loved and accepted by this God and will always question my worth and if I'm good enough. This is a false God to me. In fact, I would also say this is the very definition of a toxic parent. So who do I believe is the real God? To me, the real God is both a divine father and divine mother. They are omnipresent. 
I believe our connection to God is constant and unconditional. They are always there. I don't believe they withdraw the moment we sin. To me, omnipresence means they are always with us no matter what. Their presence is unconditional. I can close my mind and close my heart so that I don't feel their presence, but it doesn't mean I was abandoned and deserted because of my unrighteousness. They're always present in us and around us. I believe the real God is just. I believe God's beautiful justice is not about asking what is deserved. Rather, it is asking what is needed. And what is needed is always whatever brings us back into love with them. I believe the real God is no respecter of persons. This means all are equal in their sight, black and white, bond and free, male and female, rich and poor, every age, race, gender, or orientation. God loves all equally. All are entitled to unique personal revelation and blessings. I believe the real God is a God of truth. They don't lie. They don't act in secret or hide. They are trustworthy and open and unchanging. I believe the real God is a God of mercy. They expect our weakness and mistakes and freely forgive because they value agency and want us to learn through our experiences, both the good and bad. And finally, I believe the real God is love. This is the essence of who they are. Beautiful, constant, and unconditional love and support for all people as we choose right and as we choose wrong. When I start to see God's nature as this type of being, wow, (laughs) this God is someone I can't help but love with all my heart, might, mind, and strength. This is a God I want to worship and be with. In the transaction paradigm, I nearly always judge myself as undeserving of love and acceptance because I am not yet perfect. And yet in the unconditional love paradigm, I always deserve love simply because I exist and because love is the governing law of the universe. When I feel their unconditional love and acceptance of me, warts and all, it changes me. It is such a contrast from the transactional experience that it feels like the greatest gift I could ever receive. It's mind-blowing. I can't help but want to offer that same unconditional love and acceptance to others. This is who God really is to me because the fruit of this paradigm, of this view of God is so much better than the fruits of constant judgment that transaction brings. What would our worship be like if we got a steady dose of hearing about who God really is? What if we were constantly told how much God loves us? And not just how much God loves us, but that they always love us, no matter what, unconditionally. We probably wouldn't have to be commanded in all things, but would be anxiously engaged in a good cause. 
We'd probably stop judging each other because we ourselves wouldn't feel constantly judged by God. We'd probably start loving each other because we would feel so loved by God. As John said, we love him because he first loved us. When I start to believe in this God and believe Jesus when he says, the kingdom of heaven is within you, when I start to believe that heaven can be here on earth now, when I believe that my love and acceptance from God can be now, even before I'm perfect and even in my struggles and weakness, this is a God I want to worship and be with. The amazing fruit of this paradigm shift is that as soon as I stop seeing God and the gospel as a transactional relationship, I also stop treating other relationships in my life as transactions as well. I stop keeping score in my marriage and parenting. I stop viewing the government and my community through the lens of what is deserved. I start to see everything in present tense. I live for love now and build Zion now. I ask what is needed because the transaction no longer matters. The only status that matters is whether or not I am currently in a state of love. Let me say that again. The only status that matters is whether or not I am currently in a state of love. If not, I ask what is needed to feel and be restored to love. No wonder Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was so revolutionary. He took this transactional gospel belief of earning blessings and taught a higher way, which was entirely focused on your state of being. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus radically changes the paradigm for blessings. These blessings are 100% based on your state of being, your alignment. It's your heart. And every one of those blessed states are a form of love. Not once does he pair these blessings as transactions. And did you catch those blessings? They include heaven and seeing God and receiving mercy and comfort and inheriting the earth. Those are the grandest blessings there are. And he's teaching us these blessings come from your beingness, not your doing, but Goodness, do we flip this around? (laughs) It's easier for the logical mind to put a formula to everything, so we quickly revert right back to transactional thinking. If I do this, then I can get that. At some point, we have to move beyond the mind and work on the heart. We must work on our ability to be love 
and put the umbrella down. When we are being love, the doing takes care of itself. It naturally flows into our actions. If being in love was the only thing we worked on, it would be enough. The gospel is far more simple than we make it out to be. When I am being love, I want to stay in love. It's such a glorious place (laughs) that when I depart, my soul longs to return. I'm trying to become faster at those returns so that I'm spending more time in love than I am elsewhere. I used to say my ultimate goal was to make it to heaven in the next life. I've swapped my goal. The very nature of that statement now feels transactional to me. To make it means I've earned it or deserved it. It's also saving my joy for the next life after I'm dead. Let me spend my talents now instead of bearing them away. Let me experience heaven now. Let me believe in a God that is worth loving. My new ultimate goal is to feel the divine love of God. In Lehi's dream found in the Book of Mormon, this goal would be symbolized as tasting of the fruit of the tree of life. To taste of God's love. This can happen today. It can happen every day. It's not striving for a future reward or earning some future glory. It's simply being present and aligning with love. This shift has been the most fundamental shift of my spiritual life. And I'm still in transition and I still relapse into transactional thinking, but I am noticing it. I'm also getting glimpses of the higher way. And even just having a taste of the higher way is enough to motivate me to do whatever it takes to have more. I'm hungry for it. No wonder the moment Lehi tasted of the fruit, he wanted others to experience it too. He didn't save it for the future. He immediately wanted to share it. This is the ultimate goal of my life right now, to move out of transaction and into unconditional love. All I want is to live at the tree. I believe God and the gospel are not transactional. I believe God and the gospel, the good news, are unconditional love and grace. For so long, I believed differently. I couldn't fully experience the gospel as good news Because I lived with an underlying anxiety of questioning whether or not I was good enough or doing enough to earn and deserve my reward. I still vividly remember the moment that I let go of putting my faith in transaction. The words, just be love, Brooke. This is enough. Came into my mind. In that moment, I understood for the first time what good news felt like to me. It was as if all the pressure lifted. I was okay. I was enough just as I was right now with all my weakness and shadow and mistakes and flaws and parts that need healing. 
This is what salvation feels like. My heart wanted to burst with love to God because this version of the gospel felt so full of grace. It was so loving, mind-blowing loving, paradigm-shifting loving. And all of a sudden, I had room in my heart to love all the rest of the people in the world as well, just as they are. No conditions. If I could be loved by God without earning it, I could love others without them having to earn it as well. What if the reason we came here is not to get better at judgment, but to learn how to transcend it? I believe we're here to learn how to be love, simply because that is who God is. And by design, It is who we are as well. Really, we're here to learn how to be ourselves, which is love. Just be love. This is enough. God is love. God is love. God is love. Unconditional love. See it, say it, feel it, do it, become it. You are a creator. Now go create something great. <laughs>